You are listening to the Pro Ecclesia podcast from the Truett Church Network. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Well, welcome today, uh, wherever you are listening, whenever you are listening, to the Pro Ecclesia podcast hosted by the Truett Church Network, Truett Seminary, and Baylor University. Uh, this is Matt Homeyer leading the discussion today. We are thankful that you uh, are downloading this and watching and listening, or listening rather. Uh, wherever you happen to be. This is the second conversation in a series of conversations with um, Dr. Dustin Bennett, the director for the Program for Future Church at Truett Seminary, a visiting assistant professor in practical theology at Truett. Um, Dustin, welcome back. Good to see you again, my friend. Glad to be here. Well, we're going to visit uh, in this conversation about Dustin's newly released book, Adaptive Church. But before we get into that, um, I just Want to also let you have the opportunity to get to know Dustin a little bit and uh, and and what brought him. So, so Dustin, tell us just a little bit of your background and kind of what brought you to Truett. Yeah, sure, Matt. So, uh, I think place matters for uh, the life of faith and the work of theological education. So, I'll just start by saying I grew up in uh, South Central Texas, in small town Texas, where there were uh, two religious gatherings every week. Uh, one was Friday night football. And one was Sunday worship. Uh, know that world. Texas forever. Care about that world. That's right. Uh, and was formed deeply in that world. Um, and at the same time, uh, I also got a sense that there was uh, another type of question that was calling me um, beyond that particular community in that particular mm. place. You might think about this as beyond Christendom. Yeah. You know, I valued the formative space of that environment. I also was really curious about what does it look like to understand belief, belonging, and leadership mm-hmm. yeah. in an environment where Christianity can't be taken for granted, Yeah, where the life of faith and Christian institutions don't hold the center of public discourse. Mm. Um, so I spent an extended period of time in, in the Pacific Northwest, listening, learning, being formed, educated. And what I found there is that the life of faith, although it looks very different outside of Christendom, is still very much real and still mm. very vital. Yeah. Um, spent a fair bit of time also on the East Coast, uh, pursuing graduate education and learning from various communities, and then have had the privilege to travel all over the country, listening and learning from faith leaders of various forms, uh, from the rolling hills of San Francisco to the peanut fields of Georgia, mm. had conversations with faith leaders and um, the woods of New England, uh, along the coast of Delaware, uh, North Carolina. I mean, all across yeah. this beautiful landscape, I've had opportunities to listen and learn from faith leaders. Uh, and it's given me both incredible curiosity about the shifting landscape that surrounds theological education, mission and ministry, uh, real hope yeah. about what's possible, uh, and some new imagination about the ways in which we can um, be and become what I call a more adaptive church. Yeah. All right. Um, and you've been at Truett now just over two years. Just over two years. So okay. I'm brand Fantastic. new by Truett standards. By Truett standards. That's right. But we're also hiring so many people. You're you you may be the old man pretty soon. That's you know, right. uh, with so great. many so much new blood coming in, which is exciting. Um, the uh, and and you have a uh, a growing family. I do. Yep. I have a. Um, Four month old today. Yeah. Congratulate. Um, four four months month old. Yeah, four, it's hard to believe. I also have a four and a half year old girl um, and a six and a half year old. Okay. So we get to play um, lots of new soccer, lots of <laughs> gymnastics. 
uh, and have a wonderful time uh, reading books, um, just doing life life together uh, yeah. about 12 inches away from the ground. <laughs> a busy life, but a wonderful life. It's, it's fun. a fun, fun yeah. stage. Uh, Tiring, about, but fun stage. I, I say grateful and grueling. Grateful and grueling. <laughs> it's that stage, man. <laughs> we uh, have the privilege of going to church with Justin and his family, and we love sitting a pew or two behind them often and just watching Watching the little ones in worship is a joy yeah. for us. Yeah. As uh, that, That's yeah. kind and gracious. <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, little ones stress parents out. Everyone else just enjoys it. Uh, but um, Well, so you've just released this book through Baylor Press, Adaptive, mm-hmm. Adaptive Leadership. Um, adaptive, adaptive Church. Adaptive Church, excuse me. I got on the family stuff and lost my train of thought. Yeah. Adaptive Church. Um, you know, kind of what what led you to the subject of this book? Tell us a little bit about how this came to be. Yeah, well, like I said, I... Uh, was raised in a context where um, you know Christianity was was the taken for granted. It was yeah. the norm, um, and, and I recognized that. Um, I'm going to cut that. Can I provide a different response? Yeah, uh, yeah happy and happily to share more, Matt. So um, I've always been curious about uh, the ways in which mission and ministry is changing in ways that are drawing the very best from the Christian tradition, but also creating space for new things to emerge. Um, I think this is Christianity at its best. Uh, We take up what we've received and then we create containers and environments and institutions that allow what we've received to be passed on to the next generation. Yeah. Um, So emerging from the space between my uh, formative experience in small town south of Texas and some of my educational experiences in the Pacific Northwest, I began to wonder what would it look like to explore collaboration, community, and education on the other side of Christendom? Mm, Uh, What would it look like to explore the ways collaboration, connection, and community actually creates the conditions for religious leaders, educators, and faith leaders of various kinds to pursue these adaptive responses to the challenges they face? Mm. Um, there's a one way of studying religious organizations where you study a single type. Yeah. And I began to wonder what would it look like to explore the connections between organizations as a space for novelty. So that was the initial spark that led me to the work of Adaptive Church. Yeah. But along the way, I was always listening and learning from local communities. And it was their wisdom that drew me in and gave me the resources and insights I needed to do this work and finish it well. Boy, yeah, that's helpful. Um, helpful that it's drawn from you know, real churches, real ministries, real world scenarios. Right. Um, but it's, it's also not just observational, but prescriptive in some means and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so many questions I really have follow up. I'll start, I'll start with this. Uh, I want to explore collaboration. Mm-hmm. I want to explore several of those things. But, you know, adaptive leadership is something I think probably a lot of our audience has read or heard something on. Mm-hmm. Um Kind of, can you unpack kind of what you mean by adaptive leadership and maybe what's yeah. added to the adaptive leadership sure. discussion in sure, this sure, book? Sure. Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. There's a number of, of really helpful resources yeah. out there around adaptive leadership and how that might yeah. be translated to the church. Uh, you know, I certainly am mindful of some of the good work that Todd yeah. Bolsinger has done. And of course, I'm grateful for the work of, of Ronald Heifetz. Yeah. And what I'm doing is, is actually, you know, slightly different. Um, because what I'm trying to do is to try to pick up some of the, the language of adaptability, yeah. uh, but do so in a way that doesn't just simply take language that we might draw from the Harvard Business Review 
yeah. and baptize it with Christian scripture and Christian yeah. values. Yeah. Now, I'm trying to think about what's the way of life mm. that grounds individuals and communities as a people of faith yeah. that then enables them to move through the life of faith and the communities of faith they lead in a more adaptive mode. Yeah. So when I talk about an adaptive church, it's really a way of life yeah. where individuals and communities are gathered together around the adaptive challenges they face, but they're doing so in ways that draw wisdom and resources from Christian scripture and the gifts of the theological traditions we inherit to imagine the adaptive and innovative responses. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in that sense, yeah. it's trying to be invitational and a little bit less prescriptive. Yeah. It's trying to draw people in and navigate the ways forward as an adaptive way of life. Okay. Does that fill in some of the gaps for you? No, yeah, 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 that does. That it is is um, less from the academic discipline of adaptive leadership, though some. Sure. But again, as you said, this way of life of being, being together, learning from one another, that creates sort of the fertile soil where change can happen. That's right. Is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think that's a really helpful yeah. way to put it. Okay. Um, I, I think about this as... Uh, kind of uh, taking the adaptive leadership literature and discourse yeah. uh, and taking it on at a slant. Yeah. Uh, uh, where I want to kind of hold up the, the gem of insights here. Yeah. Uh, and it just turn it slightly. Yeah. And say, what would it look like to investigate and imagine uh, the challenges we face yeah. in light of the reality and possibilities of God? Yeah. Like that's the grounding yeah. reality for all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not an assumption that we draw from things beyond the Christian tradition, it's yeah. actually grounded in reality and possibilities God as the starting point, as the very condition for what makes adaptability and innovation possible. And you're using two groups uh, in the Pacific Northwest kind of as your, I think you refer to them as your anchors, right? that are kind of the groups you're visiting with, interviewing, yep. observing, yeah. that drawing this from. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, social scientists talk about this as critical case studies. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that's really interesting about the Pacific Northwest is a sociologist describe it as America's religious future. Hmm, um, that it's a context yeah. where the changing um, demography, yeah. the changing um, uh, political configurations, the yeah. changing composition of that region, um, in some ways, provides a uh, case to consider where America, nor excuse me. Um, one of the things that's interesting about the Pacific Northwest is that many sociologists describe it as America's religious future, mm, yeah. uh, where it's a case to consider uh, the ways in which the shifting landscape of American political and religious life uh, may be headed when it comes to religion. Yeah. Um, so within that, I talk about um, these two uh, cases. Sociologists talk about these as critical cases that really anchor the inquiry. Yeah, um, they're strikingly similar and fundamentally different. Um, you know, for listeners who are listening here and want to learn from them, it's the Parish Collective and the Office of Church Engagement. Mm -hmm. Some really wonderful, beautiful, collaborative work. Um, and what they do is they're not at all intended to be exhaustive. Yeah, uh, they're intended to be illustrative. Yeah, that invite us to imagine how each of us in our context can do work that's both similar and maybe different from these yeah. various cases. Yeah, that's helpful. So you you talk a lot about collaboration. I mean, this conversation in the book, um, you know, I, what do you mean by collaborate? You know, are you imagining, is this about churches learning to collaborate within themselves, churches with other churches, churches with community structures? Yes, to all of the, when you imagine the future being collaboration, 
what are you kind of envisioning or, or hope right. churches have an right. imagination right. for? Yeah. yeah. Well, I think the first thing to invite us to consider is that that collaboration, uh, first and foremost, is oftentimes relational. Mm, you know, yeah. so we certainly need to uh, think about the structures that support organizational collaboration yeah. and partnerships. And, you know, when organizations partner, we should certainly have MOUs and yeah. those things matter and yeah. contracts matter. Yeah. Uh, those are good and valuable. Yeah. Uh, but the starting point for collaboration is oftentimes some relational connection. Yeah. Uh, between individuals who oftentimes have some shared history. Yeah. Uh, so that's the first thing I mean when I'm trying to think about collaboration. Yeah. Is to draw attention to the individual personal connections. Yeah. Uh, that matter in a local community of faith and matter across communities of faith. Yeah. Uh, one of the things we see um, beyond the region in this moment is that there's a frame of these individual social connections. Yeah. Uh, so if the future of the church is collaborative, we need to think about how to rebuild these, how to steward them, how to care for them. And then out of that, we can begin to think about how to structure them. Yeah. And that's really where some of the book goes is to think about the structure of collaborative partnerships yeah. and the wisdom that can guide our work. Yeah. And our work together. So in some ways, I mean, I think for uh, particularly if you grew up in a small town or just even a larger t- uh, kind of a, a smaller community within a larger city. Some of this is going back to once was when you had a village structure at right, work and right, right, right. and you your church knew who the leaders were and you knew where the need where you knew your community better That's than right. most of us do now. As you said in one of our this conversation the previous, you know, place matters. And right. We don't right. always know our place or mm-hmm. our churches drive from far away to get to the place of church. Right. And so your ministry is often disembodied from that mm-hmm. place. That's so that, a good word. Yeah, yeah, that's really helpful. Um you one of the, the interesting things I think that your book brings that not many, just because of timing, have yet been able to bring is your um, your research and your visits with these groups is both pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. And mm-hmm. so any did you have any interesting insights or takeaways there kind of on the, the challenges of the church, mm-hmm. the approaches to meet those challenges, mm-hmm. pre-pandemic, post-pandemic? Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly. Uh, I mean, the first thing I'll say is um, if we are post pandemic, I think that's exactly right. (laughs) Where are we? Yeah. (laughs) What time is it? Uh Uh, uh, So, for many of the leaders and communities I talked to, uh, the pandemic didn't fundamentally alter the structure of the challenges they face. Um, For many of the communities of faith, the the challenges that they had after the pandemic. Mm. Were, were oftentimes really similar to the challenges that they had before yeah, the pandemic. Just maybe exacerbated. Exactly. In some ways. Yeah. And, and it heightened some of the fragility yeah. uh, and some mm. communities it heightened some of the anxiety. But but the challenges themselves and the structuralist challenges didn't didn't fundamentally change. Yeah. So I think there's one um, narrative uh, that can be told about the pandemic is that it introduced entirely new and novel challenges. Yeah. Um, but But I actually don't think that's a narrative that holds on the ground. Yeah. Uh, because many communities um, that I've spoken to in the Northwest and elsewhere uh, describe continuity and the challenges. Yeah. Um, what it did do is it did um, create the conditions for some uh, communities to respond to the challenges in more innovative ways. Um, many communities had been considering the, the need and the possibility to innovate or to adapt, yeah. but it accelerated the need for that. Yeah. Uh, where they recognize that no longer we can no longer wait to innovate and respond to these challenges. Uh, we have to do so now. Mm, so it yeah. accelerated that timeline. I think in some context, it made um, some leaders who are trying to pursue collaborative partnerships uh, recognize the need to do that. So it removed yeah. some of the barriers to collaboration. 
Um, I also think for many, um, it heightened the fatigue. Yeah. Uh, ministry leaders have uh, been serving in incredible ways. Definitely. Extended yeah. an abundance of care. Yeah. Um, and uh, ministry was certainly difficult before the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and I think during the pandemic, that just got ratcheted up. Yeah. Um, so I'm mindful that many of our listeners are, are you know, coming to us on the um on the end of that, yeah, we're still in it for many communities, and I'm just mindful of of the real fatigue and the crisis weariness. Yeah, uh, that's one of the things we we really want to care for, and that's one of the things to our previous conversation. The program for the future church is trying to attend to to create an environment for care for these crisis weary leaders. Yeah, and it is still um, it's easy to say from our seat when we didn't have to lead an organization through pandemic mm. but there still is to many of some of your points opportunity on the heels of that to innovate to change you know and um anyway there's still great opportunity to introduce mm-hmm. some of these colla- new collaborations mm-hmm. and a new vision any number of things mm-hmm. um but the window yeah. might be closing i mean that's one of yeah. the things I'm, yeah. I'm really curious about yeah um, is, uh, you know, researchers, yeah. uh, we talk about, you know, innovation, yeah. talk about how um, crisis yeah. oftentimes mm. um, serves a number of functions. Yeah. Uh, it certainly heightens the anxiety. Yeah. It also creates a window of opportunity for, for innovation yeah. um, and risk-taking and um, trying new things. Yeah. So without uh, trying to minimize the gravity and the reality of crisis we all have been facing over yeah. the last two years, or two months, yeah. or maybe in your community, 20 years. Yeah. I, I don't know what your crisis is. Yeah. We do want to recognize that if we're trying to think about how and when to take a chance in our community, um, crisis, if given the right conditions, yeah. can be an opportunity to take a risk, yeah. to make a change, to innovate in some ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a, that's a point well taken. Um, Again, there's I don't want to give away the whole book here <laughs> um, because I want people to buy it and read it. It's a worthy read and, and worth fine. your time. Um, but I, I just asked maybe a final question. Um, so if the Pacific Northwest is kind of a glimpse at some of the cultural future in which the church may reside in sort of the Western world, predominantly American, North American world, um, for a church that's not yet not yet in that, not yet fully on the margins um, of a society. Uh, how does the church kind of begin to create the culture of collaboration? Kind of what ingredients need to be present mm-hmm. to create that fertile soil you're describing? How, you, yeah, how would you yeah. start with that? Yeah, I would say a few things. Uh, I mean, first, where we started today, thinking yeah. about the power of place. Mm, yeah. uh, place matters. Yeah. Uh, where our congregations sit matters. Yeah. Uh, where we serve matters, where we were raised matters. Yeah. So we want to begin to think about the power of place, yeah. uh, to name that in our communities, to be really curious about it, uh, to cultivate a hopeful imagination about how place can reground our work in the yeah. ministry. Um, the second thing I'll say is uh, we oftentimes uh, talk about collaboration, but don't always have the shared language. Yeah. Uh, so we can work to cultivate shared language. And that's part of the hope of my book, Adaptive Church, is that it gives some leaders and their communities some shared language yeah. so that we can talk to one another in ways that um, help us place our form of leadership yeah. to name the way we best move through the world 
and also to recognize the ways in which other people move through the world in different ways yeah. so that we really, really can be better together. So think about shared language. Which I, it is important, I think, because I think a lot of churches are used to collaborations being we're setting the table and inviting others into right. our lang- our space, which means our language, our rules. Right. What we're talking about here is we enter maybe nonprofit space, mm-hmm. other religious, you know, any number of other spaces right. Right. where we need to accommodate yeah. sort of the language, the mores, right. any number of that's things. Right. That, that's that's, a, right. that's yeah. difficult, but exciting. Yeah, yeah. And, and even in our yeah. buildings. Yeah. yeah, it's not always the case yeah. that when we talk about collaboration yeah. on our staffs, yeah. that um, we actually all understand and mean the same thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we may think we mean the same thing, <laughs> but like when you yeah. begin to to listen to people, there's oftentimes yeah. a more complex story. So even in our church staffs, yeah. like what would it look like to build a more collaborative structure where people are released to lead yeah. in their unique mode of leadership? Yeah. Um, so the power of place, developing shared language, uh, cultivating trust and protecting trust yeah. at all costs. Uh, if we're going to collaborate and innovate in various ways, um, trust is an essential yeah. condition. So we have to protect that. Um, I think fourth, we can cultivate these containers Um, that creates suitable environments for people and communities to take risks. I think that's one of the things um, congregations can do who may be on the other side of Christendom, on the more stable side, is they have a real opportunity right now, right now to cultivate containers for hopeful imagination and innovation. Okay, break that down. Container, what do you mean? um, I'm I'm just thinking container store, you know? Yeah, yeah. container store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very clear container Uh for the container store. Um, it's a space yeah. in our communities. Um, it might be a committee. Uh, it might be a small group. Um, it might be a separate yeah. worship environment um, that allows individuals and communities to take a risk okay. that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. Yeah. Um, many innovators, um, many entrepreneurs um, are only able to do that work when they have the right support. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, no, so that when makes I talk sense. about container, I mean giving yeah. people right support yeah. the right resources um the right time yeah um you know the right sense of, of trust yeah. they're not going to lose their job if they yeah. try this yeah. one thing yeah i mean that type of structure yeah. creates a container okay innovation. no that's really helpful so kind of that that limited risk that's protected yeah. that yeah you can yeah. you can try some things and if it doesn't work it's okay exactly this is part of built into the process exactly and yeah. this can be paid and unpaid yeah. people yeah like that's yeah. one of the really beautiful really things helpful. that happening is happening in the northwest is there is there are models of ministry emerging that include both paid and unpaid people who are ministering in meaningful creative and collaborative ways um, so i'd love to see churches and congregations begin to think about how these containers and yeah. both paid staff yeah. and unpaid volunteers. Yeah. Um, and the, the final thing I'll I'll say, Matt, as we're thinking about how this actually takes place in practice, um, is just take the first step. Yeah. You know, oftentimes the invitation into an adaptive church uh, just involves taking the first step. Yeah. Sometimes this can be the first step of asking a question. Sometimes this can be the first step of having a lunch with somebody. Sometimes this can be the first step of pursuing more theological education. I don't know yeah. what the first step is for our listeners today, but oftentimes the way into a more adaptive church involves just taking the first step and then the next one and then the yeah. next one and then the next one. Oh, and there's something very much of the gospel in this, right? Of mustard right. seeds beginning of the yeah. the yeast leavening the whole of any, you know, we can pick several images sure. there of 
experimenting small um, and probably freeing some creative prophetic type personalities in our congregation Mm. that love our church but may feel constrained by things to to experiment we just never know how the spirit you know where the spirit is leading in those things Mm -hmm. and that's uh i think that's exciting i hope for almost any pastor any minister regardless of the the type you know or setting of their church um that's there dustin thank you for your time i know you are still on paternity leave and have a lot going on in your life and uh, appreciate your book appreciate your work at Truett, and um, i hope you have uh, benefited friends from this con- conversation um, i hope you will go out and uh, get this book you know if you want to learn more listen to our previous podcast where we talked about how you know dustin can and the program for future church can come out and serve your church um, that is you know one of the hopes of Truett is that we are uh, very closely always connected to local mm-hmm. churches and helping however we can but Thanks again, Dustin. Appreciate you, friend. Friends, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.